Heavenly Father, it remains a great wonder and mystery to us that you, who are so highly exalted above all you have made, would take delight in us, that you would consider us, that you would be mindful of our needs and come to us and meet our needs. Our great need today is the same great need we have always had, that Jesus, our Lord, would come to us clothed in his gospel with words of grace and truth. If we are to govern our areas of responsibility, oversee our families, bring salt and light to our workplaces, and rule creation under Christ, we need your word and spirit to govern and rule us. Do so by sending Jesus among us to speak truth and love to our hearts, for his sake and for our good. Amen. Please open your Bibles to 1 Samuel, chapter 2. It is found on page 273 of our Red Bibles. In today's Old Testament lesson, we discover that not everyone who has been called to serve the Lord does so with the kind of humility and gratitude that the psalmist sang about in Psalm 8. The priest Eli's sons honored themselves rather than the Lord and served themselves instead of the people of Israel. We will begin reading at verse 27 and continue till verse 33. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under the Pharaoh? I chose your ancestor out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me, by fattening yourselves on the choice of parts of everything offering, every offering made by my people Israel. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house so that no one in it will reach old age and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. Every one of you that I do not cut off from serving at my altar, I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament lessons are three this morning. Our focus is going to be Romans chapter 12, verse 10. However, I'm going to read for you Philippians and 1 Thessalonians as well. 
you can, of course, turn to those passages. My suggestion would be rather to turn to uh, Romans chapter 12 and then just listen together to these other two passages. So turn to Romans 12 and then I'll read Philippians first, followed by Thessalonians. At the very beginning of this famous New Testament hymn to the humility and the exaltation of Jesus, famous in uh, Philippians chapter 2, is this introduction, and I'll read that for us, starting in verse 1 of Philippians 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then First Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And then finally, you can look with me at Romans chapter 12, and our focus is on verse 10. I'll start with verse 9, though. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. In my home country, there is a prestigious award, and it's called the Presidential Medal of Freedom. The president honors people who have made, the award says, quote, an especially meritorious contribution to the United States, to world peace, or to culture. Looking at some of the awards that were given since it was started at John, John F. Kennedy's time, 
It occurs to me, I think that sometimes presidents are giving this medal of freedom to people that most of us have never heard of. And that's kind of the point, right? These presidents think that these not famous people who have done great things, that we should know about them and celebrate what they've done. But when you look at the list of recipients of these awards, I think that other times, presidents seem to give this medal to celebrities and maybe because they want to grab some of those celebrities' fame for themselves, right? It's nice to be in the Oval Office and take a selfie with Serena Williams or um, Bon Jovi or somebody like that. You stand here, I'll put a medal on you, you'll thank me, and I'll look good doing it all. Now, that's a little bit cynical, I know, right? Sorry. You know that there's a medal in the Christian church as well. An honor that is like it. But it's not the pastor or the pope or the council chairperson, sorry, Paul, uh, who gets to give this medal. But it's actually you. Every one of you. And you get to give this medal this honor, and you must give this honor. To show honor to another Christian believer, the title of my sermon was to knight one another, right? To make someone noble. This means to recognize and honor the nobility and the status that we see in each other when we see each other as we really are, and that's in Christ Jesus. And Paul here in Romans 12, verse 10, calls us to get moving on this. This is an action-filled commandment. And he challenges us, I think, number one, to run ahead, number two, to race below, and then finally, to recognize the victor. To run ahead, race below, and recognize the victor. So first, what's he calling us to? He's calling us to run ahead. What does he mean? The verse here says, I'll give you a couple of translations of verse 10. NIV, honor one another above yourselves. That's not bad. Here's one that I think is even better. ESV, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another. The New Living Translation is good too. Take delight in honoring one another. And then there's a translation I've never heard of, but I like what it says. Compete with one another in giving mutual respect. You see, there's different things going on here, right? There's a, we've got to go do this, and there's the delight that we take in it, and then there's also the, the competition almost aspect to it. If you're a competitive person, you know what this is all about. It's competitive. I got to win. And it's also fun to try to do it. And the reason that there's so many different ways of saying this is because this is one of these interesting times in our New Testament where we get a word that is only here in all of the New Testament. There's a fancy word, 
Hapex legomenon, I think, is the word for it's only in this one time that this word shows up. And so it takes some creativity to kind of get at its meaning and to follow its command then. Literally speaking, it means to go before as a guide does. So you're out in front and you're kind of showing the way, right? In our context, though, I think it means that you are running ahead. You're rushing. You're the first person to go where ultimately everyone else is going to go as well. You're going to go somewhere and you're in an excited hurry to get there. And the thing about this race, this rush ahead is, unlike organized races, not everybody starts at the same place or even at the same time. Some people don't even know that they're signed up for this race to outdo one another in showing honor. But guess what? You're signed up for it because now you've heard there's a race and you are registered for it. You are a Christian believer. You're in the race. You have heard the gun go off. And whether everyone else is paying attention or not, off you go. And if you like, there's, even if all the participants are not all on the same page and ready to go, there is nevertheless a crowd gathered, a great cloud of witnesses in heaven cheering you on as you go. And so you go and you run ahead and you do it even if nobody else knows the race is starting. And you're doing it to try to beat everybody to the place where you can show them honor in the church. There's an ancient Jewish scholar who said that if your neighbor is in the habit of bowing to you or saluting you every time they see you, and you're out in the neighborhood and you see them coming towards you, you should try to get there first and bow before they even get the chance to do so. When I lived in Korea, there was a lot of bowing. And I had a Korean friend who is a professor at perhaps Korea's best university, Yonsei University, and a Christian man. And as even before we were good friends, this man, he literally raced ahead and bowed first to everybody that he met. I had never been able to get the first bow in, and I was never able to give the last bow when we said goodbye. It's like this friend of mine, it was like Romans 12.10 was his life verse. And it was his joy to honor people in this way. And having a friend like that, it makes it easy to honor them too, right? But here's the thing. Paul is challenging us to race ahead and to honor others in the church whether or not they are going to bow and honor us too. And this is kind of scary for us, right? It's often lonely to be the first one to go and obey this command. You can feel like you're the only one racing on ahead to honor other people. 
And look, whether you live in Rome in the first century or you live in Zurich in the 21st century, it's easy to fear that if you spend your life honoring others, if you spend your life in a Christian community where you're outdoing one another and showing honor, then maybe no one will turn around and honor you back. It's a real fear. We fear, don't we? We fear that honor is a currency. It's like Swiss francs or something, right? You give francs away, you have fewer francs. And unless you loan francs with interest, then you're making yourself poorer by giving francs away. It's bad business. And so if I run ahead and I start giving honor, the fear is I could end up without honor. I could end up without a sense that I'm somebody. I could end up in other people's eyes and even in my own eyes being a nobody. And so we think to ourselves, I'll start honoring people when they start honoring me. And guess what Paul says? No, that's not how it works. That's fundamentally unchristian. Because a Christian who is growing in grace, he says, Romans 12:10, is the kind of person who has become devoted, affectionate in their care for other Christians. There's two Greek words that are going on here for love. You know there's four Greek words for love. And here there's not eros and agape, but rather there's philos, brotherly love, and there's storge, which is natural love, the kind of love that is within a family or a tribe or a nation. I don't wait until I've got enough honor from my brother or my children before I start to honor them. Especially with my children, I'll be waiting forever, right? But he's my brother, And they're my kids. And so it's natural for me to think they're special. And for me to prefer them over everyone else. Even if they're not rushing to love and honor and prefer me first. And when Jesus has gotten a hold of my heart, then the people in my church family have a piece of my heart too. And they've gotten a hold of it. And have captured it. So that I'm naturally or second-naturely loving and affectionate toward them. And now I can't not run ahead without hesitation and love and, and honor them way in advance of any honor that I might get in return from them. And without any guarantee, actually, that they will return this honor to me. The great American naturalist and writer Wendell Berry He says this, always in the big woods, when you leave familiar ground and step off alone into a new place, there will be a little nagging of dread. It's a scary stuff to venture off and honor others first. But as my son recently told me, bravery is not the absence of fear, but a willingness to face it. And so, Paul calls us. 
run ahead and honor one another despite any of these fears. So we run ahead. But then, secondly, once we arrive, what do we do? Paul says we're going to race below. Race below. If you live life in the church as if honor were money, if you think that if you give honor, then you lose honor, then it's going to be hard for you, right, to run ahead and show honor. It's going to be even harder to race below. My friend grew up and lives in Canton, Argyle. And she's been telling me how often folks from Canton, Zurich, sort of look down on people from Canton, Argyle. Is this true? I'm just learning. And she tells me that they don't just think that Argauers can't drive. Um, AG standing apparently for Aktun Gefer, right? <laughs> On the license plate. But often folks from Zurich think of Argauers as culturally inferior. But then the other day, this friend of mine from Argau and I and some others were in a bakery here in Zurich. And wouldn't you know, in the glass case there, they had Argau carrot cake. Special Argau carrot cake. And my friend pointed it out, and I said, well, we have to have some, right? Especially since these, uh, these Zurich bakers think that we ought to have some. And we joked together that, oh, maybe the Zurich baker kidnapped an Argauer baker and brought them here in order to make money uh, for their Zurich bakery. What was actually happening here? Something pretty beautiful, actually. A Zurich baker was humble enough to say, let's face it, nobody does carrot cake like Argau. And so let's use their recipe. In fact, let's get an Argauer baker in here to teach us how to do this. To show us how it's done, because you can't beat it. Think of the church potluck dinner. Some of you choir folks will be having one later on today. You make your favorite dish to share with everybody. Your best dish, your hometown specialty, right? And someone comes up to you and says, did you make that delicious Korean dak galbi? Did you make those amazing Mexican tamales? Did you make that awesome, I don't know, Icelandic wiener terta? I don't know. And you did. And you brought it. And they've recognized it. Their taste buds have recognized you. And they've been treated by your contribution. And they want to show you the honor of it. That's one of the most fun things about a potluck, right? But that's not the best thing. The reason we really go to the potluck, of course, is to eat everybody else's dish, not just to get complimented on ours, but to eat everybody else's. And it's the most natural thing in the world when your taste buds have been delighted to go up to the person who's made whatever has delighted you and to say, this is just incredible. God bless you and your delicious hometown cuisine. There's nothing like it. Friends, a, a potluck is a magical place. I think it's among Christians, it's a spiritual place. Why? 
Because the food is good, but the praise and the honor and even the self-forgetfulness and the delight are moving around the dinner table with such a holy power, you feel like, it tastes like you're in heaven, right? And heaven, what is heaven but the place where the very best of every tribe and nation is brought together for a great culinary and cultural feast? That's what we're looking forward to in the new Jerusalem. Heaven is the place where nobody asks, can I, being from Zurich, honor this person from Aragau? Can I do that? Can I, as a Swiss person, honor a German person or a Croatian or a Nigerian? If I do so, am I going to lose some of my own honor being Swiss? Nobody says that in glory. If, if I, as a professional classical musician, affirm and take delight in this amateur folk musician over here, am I going to lose the prestige and honor that I have, that I've worked so hard for? In heaven, you're not going to be worrying about that. So don't worry about it here in the community of the redeemed. The church is meant to be a taste of heaven. Why? Because it's the place that we never worry about such questions. We only worry about how can I run ahead and honor the people around me. And when the people of God grow in grace together, they don't just run ahead to show honor, but they will race below. They will show honor to anybody, no matter what anybody else might think of you doing so. Because they enjoy the unique gifts and contributions that every sort of person from every sort of culture and place brings to this diverse family of ours. To race below for a Christian community becomes so natural that we don't even think about the below part after a while, do we? Because we know, we begin to internalize by God's spirit that no one who is less wealthy or less educated or less popular or less healthy or less talented is ever less human or less Christian than we are in Christ. And so it becomes second nature to us to honor them without hardly thinking that we're humbling ourselves when we do so. And if a growing faithful Christian does think about things like socioeconomic status, then this is the way they think about it. They recognize that if they have more social and economic privilege than other people in the Christian community, then this becomes their opportunity to use that privilege to serve and honor people that maybe don't have so much of it. And you do it in humility and without any sense of superiority. The hard truth here, church, is that you don't have a choice. You are commanded to run ahead and to race below to show honor to people in our congregation. This is your family. You must. And sometimes it's hard. That's the hard truth. But the encouraging truth here, church, is that the more you grow in God's grace and the more that you practice this command 
the less it will feel like a command that you're obeying because you must obey it. And the more it will feel like an invitation from your gracious God, like a pleasure that you get to enjoy. Because in Christ, the church is a community of people that by God's grace grows in this natural family affection for one another. Honor one another, whether it's easy or hard. Run ahead to show honor. Race below to honor one another. And later on, it will be a joy and it won't be so hard. Maybe you're still not convinced that you can do it. Maybe it's just too scary to go first. To run ahead with no guarantee of being honored by those that you show honor to. To race below and honor people that won't or can't honor you back. Or maybe for you it's not scary so much, but it's still just not quite second nature to you. It's not joyful yet. Or maybe you're ready to go. Maybe you're the kind of person who loves this stuff and you're already outdoing others in showing honor. Now, whether you're scared or lacking joy or excited about running ahead and racing below, wherever you are there, you need to hit the pause button for a minute and think about our Lord Jesus Christ. Because you realize, right, that if Jesus had waited until you first showed him honor, before he left his place of honor at God's right hand to come down and humbly serve and honor you, you know that if you waited, if he waited for you, he'd still be waiting. But he didn't wait. He didn't wait. He ran ahead. And you realize, don't you, that if Jesus had only shown honor to people who made him look good when he did it, he'd still be looking for someone to honor. But he didn't. Instead, he raced below. Here are two things that are true. Thing number one. You have to experience it yourself first. If you and I are ever going to run ahead and race below to honor one another, we will only be pushed beyond our comforts, past our fears, beyond our pride, and into the pure joy of honoring one another if the love of Christ compels us and pushes us forward. Only when we see just how much Jesus has outdone everyone in showing honor, in showing you honor, in showing me honor, only then are we going to rush ahead and bow low and honor one another in Christian community. So we've got to experience being honored by Jesus. And then, and the more we do, we'll be moved to honor one another. That's the first thing that's true. 
You've got to experience it yourself first. Second thing that's true. Jesus has already beat you there. He's already beat you there. Once we do run ahead. Let's say his grace has gotten a hold of us. And now we're ready to run ahead. And race below and honor other people. And we get there and we start doing the honoring. You know what we find out? I'm not the first one here. I didn't win the race to honor this brother or sister. You know, you you go out and you think that you're alone. Nobody else is rushing ahead to honor this person except for me. But when you arrive and you honor them, you realize that Jesus has beat you there. He's already there. He's already run ahead and he's already raced below. And he has already honored the one that you seek to honor. And he's done it by giving himself completely for them. And now he's using you. How humbling this is when we realize this. Now all he's doing is using you and the honor that you're showing them to remind them of what he's already done for them in the gospel. Jesus beat you to it. Do you see, do you see the way that God has run ahead and raced below to honor you in Jesus Christ? Have you felt the significance and the honor that's been bestowed on you by King Jesus. And if you haven't felt that, if you haven't experienced that, you've got to experience it. And why not today? Why not today bow down and receive this great honor of being made royalty, being knighted, being made a princess or a prince in the kingdom of God? By someone who's ready to be your older brother, the king himself, the Lord Jesus. Nobility granted to you, not because you reached up and you honored him first, but because he ran ahead and raced below and honored you first in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, and in his claim upon your life. Don't wait until tomorrow. Today is the day that he's come to honor you by his grace. And in his grace, run ahead and rush and race below to show honor to one another here in this congregation. Do it because you've experienced Jesus. Do it because once you do, you'll experience more of Jesus. Do it because Jesus has honored you. Do it because Jesus runs ahead and races below to outdo you in showing honor. Do it because he showed that honor to you and to all of those people that you're sitting next to right now that you've been called to honor in his name. Isn't it a stunningly mysterious and beautiful thing to be a Christian believer and a part of a Christian community? There is nothing like this, folks. To experience the difficulty and the sweetness of all of this. 
You've got to allow Jesus to honor you by his grace and receive it and then turn and honor one another. Let's do that in the days ahead, shall we? Heavenly Father, we ask for your grace and your courage to rush into our hearts and to flood us with the conviction that we belong to one another as family and can prefer each other without ever waiting for the other to prefer us. Give us the the guts and the spirit to do that. And thank you for Jesus who has done that all for us. We make our prayer together in his name. Amen.